Before we talk to Laura Logan, I wanted to take a minute to thank you for all your support this year in 2021 and for helping us spread the word about our new media company, CD Media, which is combating the corrupt media narrative. I think we all remember the night of in November of last year of 2020 after the election when we woke up to find Trump had lost, at least on paper. And, you know, that just awful feeling in the pit of your stomach that something was really, really wrong. Well, oftentimes we get people asking us, well, what can I do? You know, I'm just one guy. How can I help fight this regime? And we tell them several things. But one of the things we always highlight is to stop buying from companies that buy all their materials from China or or corporate communists themselves that have been supporting the regime. There's one patriot who's been fighting this regime uh, for some time now with all of his own money, and that's Mike Lindell at MyPillow.com. He's been attacked by Dominion. He's been sued. He's had his distribution network ripped out from under him, but he keeps going. Go to his website. Take a look at all the products. There's 600 products there. You can use promo code CDM to get the best discounts. Many of the household goods that you would usually buy elsewhere, you can buy directly from Mike. That's sheets, pillows, towels, pajamas, clothing accessories, pillows for the children. He's got over 600 products, as we mentioned. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code CDM, and get the best discounts. So today in American Conversations, we have a friend of all of ours, uh, the esteemed journalist, award-winning Laura Logan, who has worked for several networks and has a show on Fox Nation. Laura, welcome to American Conversations. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So, um, you know, I wanted to, to get you on this week because a, a lot has happened. Um, it's the end of 2021, which is, you know, a reflection time period for journalists, you know, looking back and going forward. But also because you're um, born in South Africa and Archbishop Tutu passed away, you know, a couple of days ago. And I know that, I mean, I met him once and he made an impact in my life. And um, I think he was just the moral conscience of South Africa for decades and, and beyond, beyond South Africa for human rights. But I know that you interviewed him several times. So, I, you know, what, what are your reflections looking back on your relationship with him, you know, as an interviewer? You know, occasionally in your life, if you're very lucky, you get to know a few great men. And Archbishop Tesman Tutu was was without a doubt one of those great men. It's um, on a personal level, it's heartbreaking for me because Tutu um, was like Nelson Mandela, you know, he was just cut from another cloth. And um, he was truly a man of vision who lived what he said. And he never wavered, you know, he wasn't one of these people that once the revolution was over and the struggle was over and he was in power, you know, he had the ability to take power. He didn't take it. Uh, there was power at his fingertips. How many people, men and women, I mean, can we point to in in our lifetimes before and, you know, and to come, right? Who would ever have that much power at their fingertips and be uninterested? And that's something I have come to have so much respect for because you really over, I mean, how many years have we been doing this? See, we're old now, right? We're mm -hmm. old. It's been, what, 35 years for me and just as long, longer for you, Christine, longer maybe for you, Todd, I don't know. Not and um, what do we find? What, what is consistent the world over is that uh, there are people who crave power. And they will literally do anything to get it, to find the man that has power at his fingertips and who walks away without even it being a difficult choice. It's not even a question for Archbishop Desmond Tutu. So here, you know, I, I will tell you one of my very, very, very earliest memories of Tutu that people uh, listening to this probably will not know. When I was a young journalist in South Africa, uh, just 21, so that's a long time ago, right? Like almost 30 years ago, I joined Reuters News Agency. And my job, I would, felt like I was way behind. There were these extraordinary journalists in, at Reuters Television. They were Viz News before. Christine, you know some of them. Yeah. Mark Chisholm and Dinky McKeezy and uh, Wally uh, Soyenka, um, sorry, Willie Makaba and, you know, uh, 
right? So you had these amazing um, guys that no one had ever heard of in South Africa, but without whom the world would never have known what was really happening. And I wanted to catch up. So one of the ways that I did this was to just spend weeks in the office, weeks, day and night. Many times I slept in the office and I would go through all the digital um, cassettes. <laughs> I would, tapes. Digital cassettes. But you know what's even so bad? It's not even tapes, okay? This wasn't even as far back as CDs. Mm. And before CDs, there were tapes, beta tapes. But before beta tapes, do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember those giant, I don't even remember what they were called now. That well, there's film. I mean, we, we did film oh, before we went to tape. Yes, and film. And so I went through all of this, right? And what did I find? I found from 1992, I found a moment in Leandra Township where there was uh, someone who was accused of being a uh, spy, which was typical, right? right? An informant for the South African government. And you know what happened to these people. They were um, typically surrounded, uh, beaten by a mob and necklace, which is where they would put the tire over them and set them on fire and continue to hack at their bodies as they stood there in flames. I mean, dying just the most terrible, terrible, terrible death. It was very much synonymous with the South African townships mm -hmm. in the years of struggle under apartheid. And uh, this is what happened this day in a township called Leandra outside um, of Johannesburg. And I'll never forget Archbishop Desmond Tutu was in the crowd right. and he was screaming, okay, screaming with all of his might to, uh, to, to for everyone to stop, stop. And, they, and, you know, the mob was in a frenzy and nobody could listen to him. And so in that moment, all he did was to throw his body over right. the man's body on the ground. And I mean, when I think, you know, at the time I didn't know what was to come in my life. I didn't know the mobs that I would face. Right. And yet you could understand, I mean, it, that frenzy was like nothing you've ever seen. And the mob just stopped. Right, I mean, this, and these, these were people that Tutu was fighting for. Yes, was this was his side. And when they people. went crazy, he walked into the fire and he said, no, this is not the way we do it. It was an extraordinary That's moment right. in history. And imagine, Christine, do you remember how everything in that moment just froze? Right. Everything froze, everyone froze. And I think he said something to the effect at the time, this is not who we are. You know, this it's so funny you, you say are. that because he yeah. did say that. That's exactly what he said. And you remind me of what he said at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. If you remember at the end of apartheid, one of Nelson Mandela's promises to the nation and to his people right. was that reconciliation and healing would come through truth, which is just an extraordinary idea. I mean, it's of epic proportions. There's never been a leader like it. And I, and I believe personally, that because Nelson Mandela was an African, that uh, he is far less known and revered than he would have been if he had been a leader from another place, another time. Because, I mean, truly, Nelson Mandela was, uh, even beyond the grave, he continues to lead. And that's what Archbishop Desmond Tutu will do. And he believed, and they believed in forgiveness to get they did. the point they did. of consternation. Yeah, They believed that it was better to forgive and to move together uh, you know, forward together and to create a unified nation. They believed in unity over vengeance, right? And over reparations and all of these other things. And if you remember the first day of those hearings, when Archbishop Desmond Tutu was leading the hearings and they'd been going all morning, had been going for hours and one witness after another, after another had come. And at a certain point, he just put his head down on the desk. And this was being televised live by the South African Broadcasting Corporation. And every foreign journalist, people all over the world were watching. And there he was, and, and, and you know, there was a, a moment where everyone held their breath and we were like, what is going on? What is happening? Mm -hmm. And Tudu, when he lifted his head, he, was, he had tears running down his cheeks. And he asked everybody to stand. And when they stood, he led the whole hearing and the whole nation in a rendition of an old Zulu song, a tribal song. And it's only one phrase, when Zainilo, 
wen zain lo. And what it means is, what have we done? Mm -hmm. I have never forgotten that moment because he didn't have to take any responsibility for what he was hearing. He could have blamed it all on the white man, the evil man, you know. He could have blamed it all on somebody else, and he didn't. He took joint responsibility as humanity. What have we as human beings, what have we done? When Zainilo, I never, ever, ever forgot it. And to me it was, you know, this is why I have, um, I'm blessed to have such a strong sense of self and what I believe in. It's why I don't care people accuse me of being the right-wing darling or this and that and whatever else, being, uh, you know, the latest one, which is just ludicrous, anti-Semitic, so crazy. I've been honored time and time and time again by the Jewish community for my work. And um, of course I'm not anti-Semitic any more than I'm white supremacist or anything else. And it's because I learned from people like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela and all of the millions who followed them, who taught me. I saw it with my own eyes. Desmond Tutu, after the first South African election, what's the first thing he did? He led a rally and he got everyone to stand and raise their arms and he said, you know how he used to speak, black and white together, <laughs> we shall overcome. You know, we shall overcome black and white together, black and white together. And he made everybody do it. He took you out of that moment that and you he were giggled. in. That, he giggled and he, a lot. And he did it with, he did it with humor and, you know, he did it with joy and he did it with, I mean, he did it with everything in him and he gave everything that he had. And that kind of man, you don't find, I mean, you just don't find them anywhere. What could America do today with a man like that? Well, you know, there's, there's, you know, when I think about the times that we're in right now where it's so polarized and people are commodifying people because they disagree. They disagree because they want the right to have their own medical freedom or whatever, whatever, um, and hold their own beliefs. And I think, I think one of the other pivotal points during the Truth and Reconciliation, and I'll never forget this because it, it, it left an impact in my life like no other. And that was when um, there were two law enforcement South Africans who testified and they had tortured black South Africans on a daily basis. That was their jobs. And when they testified, um, Desmond Tutu asked them if they remembered their names, if they remembered who these people were, if they remembered their faces. And they said no. And he said, well, allow me to introduce you to them and please turn around. And I remember thinking, wow, does that put that into context about how when you become an oppressor, you don't see the face of humanity of the people that you oppress? Right. Extraordinary. Do you, think, do you think that you would be happy with what's going on in South Africa now? I mean, I'm not an expert, but have he had, has the dream been realized or not? Or is it going another way? Well, it it didn't it didn't after even after Mandela. I mean, Mandela in the Evictus Games. I mean, that whole story is is true about how he he took he took the white soccer players into the black villages and taught mm -hmm. them soccer to bring to unify the, the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mandela would have walked on fire to try to heal people and and get mm -hmm. them to come together. At the same time, I mean, you know, a lot of people who are critics of colonization in mm -hmm. Africa always blame it on the white man, but they mm -hmm. blame it on the European. Yeah. And in fact, you've got black leaders and, and President Zuma was accused of fraud uh, who followed Mandela. And so, oh, you know, it, it's, President Zuma robbed the country blind. Oh, that, thank no, you. He robbed the country <laughs> blind and everybody knows it. Okay. Right, right. And, so, black South Africa will tell so you it's that. Not, it's not perfect. But then again, yeah. you take a look at America right now and, and you think there's a level of corruption that has been revealed. And I mean, are we any better than South Africa? No, I would say no. What she well, thought about, you know, I the, know what Todd's question is. Hi, I hear you. This, so this is this is what I would uh, this is what I would say to that. So first, you know, I I honestly part of me hates to presume anything about mm -hmm. what Tutu would have thought or how he felt, mm -hmm. um, because uh, you really want to hear that from the man. But mm -hmm. if you're asking my from my experience, how 
close did it stay to his vision and how far has the country traveled from that, perhaps? Mm -hmm. If that's your question, then what I can say is that um, the danger of today is that the critical race theory reparations conversation mm -hmm. is not confined to the United States of America. Right. We are having the same conversations all across the world because we have the same media all across the world. We now longer have this monolithic, these monolithic entities that dictate how we're allowed to think anywhere we are. So now in Afghanistan, where you have women who are in, imprisoned, right, mm -hmm. who have zero rights, we now have transvestites and transvestite rights organizations. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Seriously, right? How does that happen? It happens when it's engineered, when it's not organic to the society and the culture itself. Mm -hmm. And so what we have all over the world are engineered conversations, manipulated and controlled by entities that have a, a, a global reach and influence that they have never ever had. So South Africa, of course, is not immune to that. And, um, and there is without a doubt, there's so many things that are happening now that are being reversed, right? That, um, for example, Mandela never wanted to rename every single street and strip the country of its history and of its memories. Right. And now that is what is happening. Oh, does that sound familiar? Ripping mm -hmm. down statues in the United States? Um, oh, let's see. So Obama, President Obama's uh, ambassador to South Africa, was a man called Patrick Gaspard, who was a Haitian. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, when the whole conversation about repatriation of land was happening in South Africa, mm -hmm. who was leading that conversation right. in the newspapers and diplomatically and on the foreign stage? Well, that was Obama's ambassador, who also, interestingly, when he left South Africa at the end of Obama's term, last term, what position did he take? Oh, yes, that's right. He became head of the Open Society Foundation. Yeah. So, you know, this idea that um, any part of the world is immune, Open Society Foundation is in 120 countries. Well, naturally, because they don't believe in borders. They believe in what? One world. So am I a crazy conspiracy theorist because I say one world and some kind of one world government? Wait, here's an organization that's got 120 uh, you know, countries, it's got offices because it's implementing what it believes. And South right. Africa is a very big part of that for the African continent. And, you know, if you go back, right, look at the Dutch East India Tea Company mm -hmm. and the Rothschilds and all of these people and the importance of South Africa on the trade routes. Mm -hmm. Look at Afghanistan, the importance of Afghanistan and the, and, and the Rothschilds and the, uh, the great game right, and the trade routes. I mean, what's amazing to me is how much, how far we travel, but yet we travel nowhere at all because exactly the same people and the same things are at issue. Global supply chains. We're now talking about big issues in global supply chains. Is anyone looking at the global supply routes, the global right. trade routes? So do you think that South Africa can be left to its own devices? No, of course not. Because yeah. why? I mean, look at all the gold and the spices and the importance and how much trade goes through um, that those areas. So mm -hmm. what, what? how does that leave us, you know, in terms of your original question about Archbishop mm -hmm. Desmond Tutu? Um, I, I have, uh, I believe, and this is my belief only, mm -hmm. that uh, much of what Tutu would have seen today would have pained him because mm -hmm. Tutu unequivocally believed in unity. He understood that divided we fall. United we stand and divided we fall. And that is universally true. I don't, I will not pretend to you South Africa is in um, desperate, desperate position right now because the response to COVID, the, uh, the tyranny and the global shutdowns and everything else that has followed that does not make, meet the clinical picture in terms of the South African doctor used those words, right? Um, who, who, when she um, diagnosed uh, Omicron, the latest variant, what were her words? The, the, the hysteria and the fear doesn't match the clinical picture. And that was such a, an astute way to, to put it because if you look at that forced mandates and so on and so on, they don't match the clinical picture that right. you have. And what has that done to South Africa and beyond? It has obliterated economies. Mm -hmm. If you had people who were poor before, if you mm -hmm. had a problem with corruption before, 
What you have done now is so much worse. You are starving entire generations of people. And as the price of natural gas goes up and up and up, guess what no one is talking about? No one's talking about the price of fertilizer, which is going up and up and up. And yeah. who is impacted by that? Look at Ghana in West Africa and start to look at what is going to happen all across the world. You think it's crazy? I've been talking to my South African friends in mm -hmm. the townships and the rural areas, the Basutu people. I've been saying to them, uh, you know what? What is the oldest form of fertilizer? Start stocking up now, storing fertilizer, because it's going to be worth more than gold and platinum and diamonds put together. What is it? What is pet? When you talk to them um, recently, what's the petrol cost in, in South Africa now? Have, did it? I mean, you know, Christine, the thing is that Americans are used to having uh, cheap gas, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, um, South Africa never had cheap gas. Right. When you're a tiny little country, you know, at the bottom of Africa, um, you are used to paying a lot more for gas than, um, than the rest of the world. But everything, the price of everything is through the roof. I mean, it is absolutely staggering. Speaking to family and friends over there, so many... Um, foreign companies have closed their doors. You used to be able to buy anything that you could buy in America, you could buy in South Africa mm -hmm. after apartheid ended, right? And mm -hmm. all of these foreign companies came in and all the restrictions on trade and sanctions and right. so on lifted. So there was really, um, it was really a joyful period. Um, and it was a painful period too, though, because the, the, the ANC, that was Tutu and Mandela's party, um, it, African National Congress, you know, they sacrificed education for liberation. That was one of their slogans, mm -hmm. liberation before education. And there were very, uh, there were very valid reasons for doing that, as you know, um, because of what was happening in the education system. However, there's a price for everything. And so what you ended up with after the end of apartheid were millions of uh, people who were very poorly educated and they've struggled they have paid the heaviest price and they've carried the greatest burden in the years since. And they haven't been helped by leaders who have uh, been corrupt and who have stolen. Not all the leaders have done that, but too many, too many have done that and who have betrayed them. But, you know, that's a human condition. And as you pointed out in America, wow, do we even begin to know the depth of corruption in America. It's becoming, seems like every day we're learning a little bit more, but it's still a long way from being revealed. Are you guys, both of you, are you guys um, have a positive inkling towards 2022? I mean, going into the new year. I mean, usually at the end of, end of a year, we as journalists reflect upon the year past. I mean, I just, you know, I do a circle and I say, well, you know, I don't see anything positive about 2022. I mean, 2021 at all. And I don't I don't have a positive feeling about 2022 because, you know, just today, you know, everybody's going out and getting these tests that are many times false positive, but they're lining up like herds in cities. And I, and I think to myself, am I the only one that thinks that everybody's lost their mind over this this insanity that that Fauci has put out there about covid? You know, and that, that, that Biden administration has gone along with, that the mayors, the, a lot of the governors. I mean, I think we've all lost our marbles, but I think it's 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 on a scope that it, it's I never thought I would live through a time like this. I think that COVID and the vaccines are just a, a symptom or a tool uh, for the disease, which is the regime and the corruption. And that's the the gift that Trump gave us was that the mask is off. And now it's up to us to see what to do with it. So I'm actually pretty optimistic. I mean, we have to remove the regime, remove all the policies, and then we can get our country back. But uh, the people are awake, so it depends on what we do with it. Mm. You know, I would say I agree with Todd. I mm. think that um, when history looks back at this period, and not just this year, but the years before, I think it will show that Trump's job was exposing the network of corruption, exposing the network of uh, traitors mm -hmm. and treasonous and um, setting in place um, many of the things that will yield uh, justice and 
uh, honesty, like the real truth, the whole truth um, in the time to come. Now, that does not mean that uh, 2022 will be an easy year. People think that, oh, okay, the truth is all going to come out, right? There's going to be a white knight, an Archbishop Desmond Tutu or Nelson Mandela. They're going to come riding in on their white horses and we're all going to be saved. It's not like that, unfortunately. It's taken me a long time to understand that um, I'm frustrated with the incremental truth as much as anybody else. Um, frustrated with Durham, frustrated with Barr, frustrated with Trump even um, saying he got a booster shot. Yeah, I mean, did yeah. someone suck out your brain? What the hell? I mean, what is that? Seriously. Well, it, it, truly, it truly took my breath away. And you know, maybe, maybe you know, I'm I'm hopeful that maybe I'm overly optimistic, right? But maybe it means that somehow it's another sucker play, um, and somehow you're um, there's, you know, there's a bigger game behind it. I don't know. People call that hopium. <laughs> you know, we got offered more and more and more hopium. Um, I I don't know, but what I do see is that very slowly we are getting. Uh, to the truth because the natural progression of time is exposing the truth. And what do I mean by that? Well, when uh, the Biden administration first came into office, I mean, myself, Jason Jones, um, another uh, great person out there reporting on the border, um, we all reported what now is indisputable, that this is the policy of the Biden administration. What right. you're looking at is the policy. They're, this open border is precisely what they want. It is the outcome they want. It is by design. Every policy is in place in order to affect this outcome. Now, and let me let me just interrupt. And as somebody who has covered human trafficking for almost 22 years in 140 countries, yes, that policy increases human trafficking, Wait, just like the Obama. Biden administration increased human trafficking with the Arab rising. I mean, it is increases human trafficking every time he's on the stage, whether he's a partner with Obama or whether he's on the stage right now. It drives me crazy. Yep. And so, but look at what has happened. You know, in the beginning, people could have argued, oh, don't listen to her. She's xenophobic, she's racist, she's this, she's that, nonsense. You know, now what people have to acknowledge is that the border is wide open and not only are they not going to change it, they don't even acknowledge that it's a problem. Why? Because it's not a problem, it's the policy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's very obvious. And the policy is the global compact on migration that was agreed upon at the United Nations, where migration is now recognized as a human right mm -hmm. and guess what for your open border ideologues that human right which uh, now supersedes the god-given rights enshrined in the constitution of the united states for americans mm -hmm. is now also supersedes sovereign rights of nations and what have we been warned about well we've been warned of the 1.2 billion you know refugees from climate right from a uh, global right climate change that are going to be on the march. But what do we find at the border? Well, young reporters out there, intrepid reporters, um, who you know, doing their jobs, have found books that are laminated and prepared that are literally a guide for people to cross every country in the world to get to the United States. Well, that's not, uh, you know, that's not seeking asylum in the next safe country that you can find. That is act literally opening a pathway to the door of the United States of America. And so who's answered for that policy? Who, who voted for that policy? Wait, who in Congress, you know, took a vote on that policy, right? That hasn't happened. So uh, what you have is um, over time now, we see that maybe in the beginning, we thought that COVID was really about COVID. Right. And we thought that COVID was really these um, restrictions on civil liberty all over the world were needed in order to protect us and so on and so on. But what do we see now? Well, according to the CDC's own statistics, you basically have another form of flu. And over time, the virus is mutating and more and more people have immunity. And we see that, oh, those cheap, uh, affordable drugs that were available all over the world 
ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that were villainized and demonized and you know we were vilified if you tried to use them and doctors were punished for prescribing them and pharmacists would refuse to give them out well we see that you know the 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 studies that showed them in a negative light were manipulated studies and that those drugs do work right and and mm -hmm. by the way they're available everywhere so in the developing world so in in africa where you didn't uh, need to have people die because they could have used the drugs that they already had available to them. So see, over time, what is happening? The clinical picture doesn't match, right? It doesn't match the actions taken. Well, guess what happened with critical race theory? W what did you have there? Well, you had a whole lot of people who were non-white, either Hispanic or black or Asian or whoever say, wait a minute, I don't agree with this and I'm not white. So now over time, what do you have? Um, even black people are white supremacists if they don't buy into what? A, um, a very radical ideology that is designed to separate and divide us. Yeah. And, and if you look at it, what's the extension of that? What is 5G really about? It's really about dividing us, separating us. Geographic isolation that has occurred during COVID, right? Because we've not been allowed to travel and there hasn't been the same um, airline choices available and so on and so on. All of these things are about division, whether it's geographic isolation or it's physical division or it's ideological division. We are being forced to concentrate on and we're being defined by what divides us. And we're being told to look there, look at this shiny object and, and don't look at what unites you because we all know that what unites us is far more powerful than what divides us. We don't, we don't have to deny that there are things that divide us. We don't have to deny that there are problems and racial issues and things that we all need to work on and things that we need to overcome. But what do they not want us to do? They don't want us to do it together. And that's the simplest thing. That's what I see for 2022. What I see is more and more and more people standing up together. And I'm going to kill my cat, by the way, if you want to know what that sound is. This, Not on this tape. is one of my dogs. That's one of my well, cats. I, I think you're right that there's a consensus almost that what you just said is true among the majority of the population. How do we, as journalists, pour gas on that fire and make it grow faster? You know, I, I've always thought that one of the questions we should ask people about the border issue um, and, and ask them to take a look is, is, first of all, ask them, do you believe in the Treaty of Westphalia? Now, it's a century old document, but it's one that, that establishes and has historically established the national sovereignty Okay, issue for every country in the world. We have people who are in Biden's camp like uh, David Rubenstein, who literally purchased um, the, the only copy in the United States that Ross Perot owned years ago, which was a, a copy of the Magna Carta. I think there's only seven copies of them on the planet. Uh, but I mean, if you if you if you d dive deep, in, you know, this is way beyond. I mean, we have the Constitution, but it, most people don't even realize in the United States that very few countries have a Bill of Rights. All right. Mm -hmm. Australia doesn't have a Bill of Rights, which guarantees our freedom. So, you know, there's I think that there needs to be a higher intellectual conversation in this country about the what makes America different in terms of values, which brings a bigger responsibility not to be stupid, because I think we've gotten stupid in this country and lazy. Um but also to, to talk about the responsibility we have as journalists to understand this isn't this is this is far bigger than partisan reporting. This is getting down to the depth uh, of of what it means in terms of freedom of the press. Because I used to think belonging to the fourth estate was an honor. It used to now. Be. I mean now. You know, I'm fighting for it to be an honor. But when I started out in journalism, I, I took my job damn seriously. And I'm taking it damn seriously now. But I, I feel like the people that I knew that are still working in the news business, the mainstream media, they have no idea. I sit there and I say to myself, some of the people sitting, sitting on these, these cable shows, 
if I was still the political director at CNN, I'd be walking into the vice president's office and saying, why is that person in an anchor seat? Because they're stupid. Some of these people are too stupid to be in the seats. And that goes for some of the people that are on the morning shows at MSNBC. Thank you very much. And there's something and see, and, 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 you know, and, you know, and I'm not saying everybody at Fox is an intellectual giant, but we've gotten to the point where everything on the three cable networks has become the old traditional crossfire where it's pontificating as opposed to adding value to the conversation. And I, th I think as journalists, Todd, we're going to have to fight harder in 2022, which means we're going to have to dive deeper, raise, you know, larger intellectual questions. And also we're going to have to expose, which is, I think, painful, painful to expose the warts that, that need, but they need to be, they need to be exposed. And, and this goes for all sides, no partisanship. It's just like yesterday when they came down with the Maxwell verdict in New York. Five out of six counts. They all should be walking, I mean, literally quivering because that's the first time that this this is kind of breached into the elite crowd of saying, no, if you're an enabler, if you looked away, if you brought the kids to the table, you can be held accountable. I well, mean, let me go back a, a step. Christine, because I definitely want to talk about Ghislaine Maxwell because it's fascinating. But and and you know um, more about that subject than most. So you know, listening to you, I hear two things that answer Todd's question, and I hear fire, right? I hear that fight in you, which is why I love you, um, and I also hear that context of knowledge. And that is what people really seek. I believe it. In fact, I know it. Because, you know, in my life, um, what I have found so interesting is that I spent 16 years at 60 Minutes and CBS News, right? Right. And I loved that I could get into a cab somewhere um, or I could go into a hotel and be talking to the, the lady on the overnight cleaning shift. And I could find people that knew uh, my stories from 60 Minutes. Mm -hmm. And I, and you know, my old boss, Jeff Fager, he always used to say, never underestimate the audience. And I didn't appreciate at the time how significant those words were. Because all around me in the media were people who said all the time, the audience is too dumb to understand. Ah, oh, we got to do this for the audience. Ah, oh, we got to do that. And I think we have um, labored under this misconception across the vast majority of the media that somehow we're all smarter and the audience is really stupid. It is the absolute, to me, the dividing line between people who understand how far the media has strayed from what it is supposed to be and what it became. Because mm. the moment we started thinking that we were better than the audience, and smarter than the audience, we lost. That's when we lost. Because there is a big difference between being familiar and well-versed in a subject and yeah. being too stupid to understand. And when you are literally the nuts and bolts and the backbone and the fiber and the blood of a nation, you are keeping this nation afloat in every single respect, right? You don't always have time to study the history of the Magna Carta or the Sunni and the Shia and so on and so on. So you rely on a system that we created and believe in where our journalists have a responsibility to know that history and to inform us mm -hmm. and where our leaders don't lie to us and don't deceive us over and over and over and over again. And our system is not designed for every bricklayer to be a historian. It's not designed for that because you know why? Because you need your bricklayers to be laying bricks. Mm. That's what you actually need. And just because your job, if you're in the oil business, or you're in finance, sure, you know what's happening in the world. You know why? Not because you're smarter, but because your life depends on it. Your, your life, life and your life depends on it. So mm -hmm. shove it. 
okay? You people who think you're so much better than anybody else because you all know, right? Don't we love to laugh at flyover country? Don't we love those quaint little Sunday morning stories or the, you know, the end of bulletin piece that, you know, about why Oklahoma voters are voting for, oh, Donald Trump or a Republican, or there goes another nutter from flyover country blowing up another abortion clinic. And we all tut tut and, oh, you know, you know what, an attack of Roe v. Wade? Oh, let's, get, let's marshal the troops. You know, I'm just saying that the way we have covered news in this country for decades has been extremely biased. And mm. this is our moment. Uh, Todd, you said, what can journalists do to pour gasoline on the mm. fire and mm -hmm. get things moving? We do what we are meant to do. Mm -hmm. We tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And to do it, we have to be committed, like Christine is, and fight, mm -hmm. because it's not easy. I am sitting here right in front of you. I haven't had a paycheck since the beginning of August, the way my last contract was structured, right? So uh, how am I surviving? I have no idea, because I am the breadwinner in my family. When I say to you, we have to fight, I am not saying something esoteric or academic or throwing out some nice little slogan, right? I have been doing this job for more than 35 years. I know how to do journalism like, you know, people like I know how to breathe. I that doesn't mean I know everything. It just means it's that innate in me after all these years. I've done this since I was 17 years old and I'm 50 today. I am 50 years Happy old. Happy birthday. Fighting. Happy birthday, <laughs> <Not today>. baby. <laughs> Not today, today. I mean, and uh, this moment, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is it's a tough fight. And for young journalists out there who've never been accepted by the establishment, who've never been acknowledged as journalists, you know, some of the finest journalists in this country today have never even been acknowledged as journalists. James O'Keefe from Project Veritas has become one of the best journalists in this country. Sure, there was a time he was some young running gun guy, right? Shoving his mic in people's faces. But you know what? So did Mike Wallace do that That's right. for years, right? right. But we don't want to acknowledge James O'Keefe. You know why? Because James O'Keefe does the stories that we don't want to do that make other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And he has learned over time and he has become better and better and better. And that young man built an entire organization with a, I don't know, $20 million budget and over 75 employees that are paid on salary every month. They're not freelance, right? I mean, sure, can you criticize him for this, criticize him for that? I'm sure you can, but you know what? Show me anyone out there with a, who, no, as, as I learned from one of the best producers I ever worked with, Max McClellan, no one bats a thousand, right? No one bats a thousand. So we just got to fight. And what we don't want to do, we don't want to become activists. We don't want to say, this is my cause. This is my, you know, I'm taking the torch now and I'm going to go into 2022 and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. No, no, stop. You're a journalist. All you have to do is do your job. Be a journalist and fight for journalism because what they want you to do is to give up. Yeah. They want you to believe, that, oh, you know, it's amazing that the New York Times and the Washington Post and all of these other people don't realize that they're committing suicide. And the very people who are yeah. putting the gu loaded gun in their hands, right. right, and giving them the ammo, those very people are the ones who are benefiting, right? So the, the Soros's of the world and... Uh, all of the others that, you know, the Clintons and the Adam Schiff's and the Comey's and the Obama's and all of these people, Brandon, who are, who are lying to you over and over and over again and who you keep putting out there. They're the reason people don't trust you because they know these people are lying. They know Fauci is evil. They know Fauci is lying, right? Over and over and over. So what happens is they say, well, we don't trust the media anymore. Don't, oh, we, we hate the media. We hate the mainstream media. Now it's all about new media. Well, guess what? New media, <laughs> new media, honey. It's our cheerleader. That's our cheerleader. New media. Honey, so new media in the digital realm will be completely controlled. You cannot control old school journalists. Honey, shush. 
<laughs> okay. There you go. You never had that happen on the evening news. No worries. Somebody <laughs> opens the door, the dog's barking, the cat's meowing. This is just great. I love it. Uh, it's holidays. Well, I see it as just huge opportunity. I mean, the opportunity now to build something new is just amazing because you don't you don't have to be that good. You just got to tell the truth. No, <laughs> no, you have to be really good to find the truth and to tell it well. That's the irony is actually it really does take somebody good because, you know, I've been starting to I watched an amazing uh, documentary just uh, last night and I've been starting to see how many built in lies there are that have been the foundation of the last, you know, half century longer. Like we just assume that McCarthy was, you know, totally out of control and unjustified in everything that he did. But when you start to go back into the old footage and you actually look at uh, footage of people on trial during the McCarthy era, one after another after another, you have senior people in the U.S. government saying, I am an avowed Marxist. Mm -hmm. Like, wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, isn't there a new documentary out now that basically paints McCarthy as uh, the embodiment of evil? And, you know, I'm not saying that McCarthy was Mother Teresa, but what I'm saying is look at that false narrative that Hollywood, you know, was able to weave where we see McCarthy as a demon. What about Hoover? You know, how can we only see Hoover in one way? What about the fact uh, that Hoover actually uh, shut down Union Bank, which was run by Preston Bush and his Nazi friends. Mm -hmm. We don't hear about well, the American that's, Nazis. That's, and that part of that, that. But part of that, Laura, is that we, at least I believe this, okay, personally, I believe we have, we have retrieved from reading history and retrieve. I mean, when I was a kid, great books was was mandatory in my in my household during the summers. We, kids would go down to Cape Cod, but we would we were we were told to read these books. Um, history was a value. We didn't we didn't get our you know we, this when you think of the impact of the internet in the last twenty years, it's become the, it's become the Britannica of my generation, the Wikipedia, Wikipedia, which is not scholarly. It, it, it's and anybody, and if, especially if it's become partisan and politically, it'll, it will be, Oh, are you I mean, it'll be filled with, with erroneous uh, statements. It is filled with nonsense. Yeah. And I, and I think that culturally because of the technology uh, impact in people's lives, we have gotten away from really reading reading about history because the irony in exactly what you're saying, here we have McCarthy in his heyday. Everybody thought, you know, have you no shame, Senator? That was the big statement at the time. And because of he was going after people in Hollywood and people saying that they were Marxists. Yet, and those were people who were considered to be liberal that he was going after. Yet today... We have people who admit that they're Marxists, and yet nobody's questioned. Nobody's supposed to question that. No, they give them a, a top secret clearance and put them on right. the, you know, intelligence committee. Right. That's what I they know. do today, you know. And Christine, uh, it's uh, it's really interesting um, that you talk about the Encyclopedia Britannica and technology because. What does technology encourage us to do today? It doesn't encourage us to read. It encourages us, in fact, to shorten our attention span and to play video games and to fill your mind with all this frivolous nonsense. And then, by the way, plays on your fears. You know, what, I, what, I, what really troubles me as a mother is when I see it just playing on uh, children's fears and anxieties. So whatever, you know, your angst you have as a young teenager, you know, it's feeding you all these things either to draw you back to your screen um, mm -hmm. or to draw you deeper into your screen time. Because as long as you're on that screen, there's somebody able to influence you and make money out of you. And, you know, you say, what has happened to history? Well, my children in the Texas 
state uh, curriculum, they don't even have a subject called history. You realize that, right? No, I didn't. I mean, what, did, social, what did they replace it with, if anything? Social studies. I mean, there isn't even a subject called history. So what does that tell you? How could you replace history in learning and think that there would be no cost to that? Now, social studies, you can look at anything from the point of view of this society and that society and that society because, you know, oh, no, we can't have a history because that's not history. That's just your point of view because, oh, there's no truth. There's only your truth and my truth and whatever truth we want. And oh, how does that extend? Well, oh, yeah, there's no gender. It's only whatever gender you like, you know, or whatever you feel like right now. You feel like this gender, that gender, that gender. I saw mm -hmm. some TikTok video of this girl said, don't you hate it when your gender changes on you in the worst moments? You know, my gender changes on me about 22 times a day. Really? I'm sorry. That's called psychotic. Okay. And you need help. That's what yeah, that is. Yeah, but, no. but when you look at it, that absolutely. Uh, that's just somebody that that's the little bit of the old school coming out in me there. I just gotta say that. But but what are you actually looking at? You are looking at the extension of an argument, right? Of your truth, my truth. No, there is only one truth. One, whether we like it or we don't like it. And you know what? The truth is, you don't hear a lot about from Republicans about vote fraud. You know why? Because they're also guilty of vote fraud. Did they do it on the scale that that was done in the last election? No, I don't think so. Not that we are aware of. However, why are they so quiet about it? Because they're also corrupt. They're hiding something. This happens on both sides. These issues happen on both sides. And that's why journalists cannot be defined completely and utterly and simply defined by one political entity or another. I knew it's just a matter of time that, you know, I may be seen by many as, uh, well, the Daily Beast likes to call it, but the Daily Beast is really, I read a great, a great series of articles, right? The Daily Beast is just set up by the CIA, you know? Um, so they're just an extension of, of that information operation. But these people like to call me the darling of the right. Really? How, you know, I knew that wasn't going to last long, right? Because, <laughs> because any good journalist is going to, uh, annoy people on both sides of the aisle when your master is the truth. So Todd, when you said you don't have to be good, you just have to tell the truth. Actually, it's really hard to um, understand the whole truth when people are trying to hide it from you. It takes an enormous amount of persistence. It takes an enormous amount of integrity. It really does because you, you know, you have to not be corrupted along the way. You have to have the integrity to recognize a position that maybe goes counter to your own or that doesn't serve uh, mm -hmm. your interests or the side that you believe in and so on and so on. You know, it might be that you discover, like um, you might discover, for example, Nelson Mandela's uh, ex-wife, Winnie Mandela. You know, she was just a heroic figure who overcome truly the unimaginable. And she was a light for so many in the in dark, dark, dark years. Mm -hmm. But there was a moment where right. Winnie Mandela lost who she was and became a murderer. And it was hard to recognize that. But um, if you're an activist, you don't have to recognize it. You can believe whatever you want. Yeah, as a journalist, you yeah. don't have that luxury. If you are a journalist, you have to recognize the truth. And I choose that example because it's easy to, to choose. It's easy for people to see when you choose an example that is not defined in American terms, right? Now, if you're a journalist and you discover, you know, maybe you, uh, maybe you loved, uh, you know, President Obama, but then you learn something about President Obama that doesn't reflect well on him. Well, your job as a journalist is to report that anyway. Right. You know? Like when you just... We went off on Trump last week just because of his comments. I mean, that was perfect. I understand it. I was talking more about production value and, and you know, and, and presentation versus um, we obviously have to have good journals. But I was thinking, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. I, I, I meant more. You don't need a $50 million headquarters and uh, you can be, you can provide really good, information to people without all the bells and whistles that a lot of a hundred percent and just look at drew hernandez as an example right he's the mm -hmm. young journalist who filmed the kyle rittenhouse 
Uh, he filmed everything that happened to Kyle Rittenhouse. And he also filmed what happened in, um, was it Portland? I can't remember where it was. I actually reported on this, so I should remember. Um, but there was another incident that I reported on extensively where we would have believed that this guy had uh, driven into a crowd with his car and was some kind of, you know, white racist. But actually, yeah. there was, nothing could have been further from the truth. And because of Drew Hernandez, who just who followed this group of Antifa and BLM and um, and was actually there to witness them uh, beating up a trans uh, vestite, a trans woman on the street and um, attacking a, a, a black guy who tried to help her and then moved on and then savagely beating this white guy who tried to help her, we would not have known that rather than being a white supremacist, in fact, the guy's crime was trying to stop them beating a trans woman, uh, you know, very badly, possibly to death, right? And so because of Drew Hernandez, with a small camera and commitment and integrity, I know there's a, a bunch of these journalists, they've been vilified by Vice News and others. Um, and of course, you know, um, the media just picks up on whatever narrative they want, and they have uh, the um, ability to amplify whatever they want. And so these people get painted um, as white supremacists and so on and so on, and all this nonsense. And while we can sit here and dismiss it, right, what does it mean in practical terms? It means they never get a decent job, right? They never get a decent wage. They have to struggle all the time. They, you know, share hotel rooms. They share sandwiches sometimes because they don't have enough money to buy, you know, decent food. They go, um, they have to hide their identities because, you know, Antifa are basically like the SS and the brown shirts in one and hunt down any uh, journalist that isn't on their team and isn't following their rules for journalists, by the way, which they published, right. which, which involve, you know, you can find them if do your homework, Right? They say, don't film uh, us, always point the camera on the police or you know the other people, like, don't do this, don't do that, and so on and so on. That's not journalism at all, that's propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what, you, that's what we would be, that's all we would have is propaganda. If it weren't for the fact that there are journalists out there, um, Drew Hernandez is not the only one, there's also, uh, there's also Sergio Ramos and Jason Rance, and of course, Andy No was one of the very first, and um, Elijah Schaefer has done uh, right. a lot of work on this, and there's a whole bunch of them, uh, right? There's um, a Kyle from Scribid. Um, there's, uh, you know, I know I'm going to be leaving out some of the really good ones. Um, Jorge uh, from Ventura Report, Jorge Ventura great reporters who are all really doing their best to capture the truth. And yes, you're right that you don't need a big studio um, to do honest reporting and important, significant reporting. But what you do need is you do need people like us, Christine, and you, Todd, who know what the principles and standards of journalism are. It isn't just you know, pick up a camera and go out there and say whatever you like and whatever you think. It isn't just that. It is about knowing your history. It is about knowing the context. It is about knowing the whole truth, about stopping and considering and questioning and finding, uh, you know, uh, sources to verify and independently confirm. It is about going to uh, testing the things that you agree with as much as the things that you don't agree with, right? It is about a whole lot of other things. And that is what we have to fight for, right? We have to fight for all of it. Because if we, if we don't yeah. fight for it, if we just give it up, then we've surrendered. And they may be able to get a small number of ideologues to corrupt the industry from within. They may be able to generate a whole bunch of activists out of college or re-education camps, I call them, you know, um, in order to affect their outcome. But these, this is all based on lies, right? Because the truth is McCarthy wasn't just a lunatic making stuff up. The truth is that there were Marxists, very committed Marxists at a very high level within the United States government who did intend to overthrow the government of the United States, right? So there's truth on both sides. And that's our job is to find, um, it's, and it's very hard to find as much of the truth as you can and to give that to people in a form that allows them to make up their own mind. We're not here, I'm not here to convince you. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe me at all. But my job is to do everything in my power to give you solid information 
that I believe is the truth and you do whatever you want with it because that's your choice. Yeah, it, 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 and going into 2022, especially in this COVID era, I, I think, and the, the blessing that I have seen in the last year is that the longer the COVID era story continued, the more the truth has come out. It's it, it, it's a very slow onion peel. That's what I said. But the possibility very slow of onion peel. It's exposing it. Yeah, but, but with the vaccinated speaking up, with more doctors mm -hmm. and nurses speaking up, uh, even though and the medical boards are going after them. Now, we, we are developing the, the pharma inside whistleblowers, which is extraordinary. I mean, they haven't walked out the door with the documents. I, I'd send a truck over there, you know, to, to help them and get them the lawyers and everything else. But it's, 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 it's going to come in the end. And in the end, this is the king. The king is going to be butt naked by the time this story comes to full fold worldwide because it has had such a global impact. I mean, I've never, I remember sitting in John Solomon's office in March of 2020 as, as, as the, the, the office was closing because the, the mayor of DC had basically said, um, you know, everybody had to leave. So we all went to telework. And I remember the, the, looking at the three monitors on the wall and, and saying, this is not a health story anymore. This is an economic story. And by August, when it was just vaccines were the only answer is when I called Bobby Kennedy and I said, you know, when the campaign's over, I want to take this on because I firmly believe that this is nothing short of medical trafficking. And I believe it more every single day when you coerce and you defraud human beings for profit on a baseless argument, on a fraudulent argument, that's the very definition of human trafficking. So, you know, actually, Christine, what you're saying reminds me, Todd, of think of something that you're getting at, right? We're in a race. If you really want to talk about gasoline on the fire, yeah. we're in a race. Because if we wait for the passage of time to expose the whole truth, we're going at a very slow pace or at a very deliberate pace pace, right? And if you look at what is happening on the other side, they're not going at that pace, are they? Right. No, it's they happening know, very quickly. I mean, they, they see it coming, so they know they have to get out. They have to take power how they want to. Before. They're at lightning speed. Yeah. At and lightning. That's, why, that's, why the, that's why you have more variants, and that's why you have more fear, that's why you have more testing, that's why you have people lining up in the last two weeks as if this is a herd, um, you know, indeed, it doesn't matter what city they're talking about or what university. I mean, people are lining up for tests that don't work. I mean, how, how nuts is that? Because we know that these, these most of the, a lot of these tests can be false positive. Mm -hmm. So well, they, know they, they know they have to stop this. The question is how they're going to try. I mean, it, is it the electric grid? Is it another virus? Is it something right. that is coming because they cannot allow the 22 election to go down, which the way we all know it's going to go down, where we pick up 100 seats and maybe the Senate. They, they, they can't allow that. So Unless, unless, Todd, unless, and this is just, you know, it's just me thinking, right, unless they have enough rhinos in place mm -hmm. to make it look like yeah, a victory. Because, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're smart enough to put district attorneys in place, right, all over and judges um, at, at every level, right? And sheriff's offices and all the rest of it. I mean, Soros said years ago, I'm going to take over the judicial system. And he did. He did. Well, the prosecutors, the local prosecutors from Baltimore mm -hmm. to St. Louis to San Francisco. Absolutely. So but in time, in time, the Kim Gardner in St. Louis and uh, Mosby, I think is her name in Baltimore. And yeah. the Weatherman's son uh, that's in San Francisco. Chesa Boudin. Chesa Boudin, thank you. Yeah. They, they, they have been exposed, but they're still in power. They still and have they're not backing down. They're and not they're changing not their policies down. because right. they have the outcome that they want. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's so frustrating. You see people on TV all the time going on and on about, oh, another business just left California. What are they going to do now? They don't care. They are trying to collapse the economy. Mm -hmm. They literally don't care. They mm -hmm. want a slave class, right? 
So whether it's a slave class of illegal immigrants, you know, in, a, in their sanctuary state, uh, or it's the rest of us, the unvaccinated. I mean, who's next, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, listen, um, you know, wishing you the happy new year. Okay. But I mean, I think the three of us should all collaborate in 2022. Seriously. Definitely. Yeah. You know, the, the days of uh, caring about being first or being exclusive, right? I mean, those are luxuries. Journalists just, they just don't matter in journalism today. Who knew that it would be so um, difficult to get to uh, the whole truth that the only way to do it would be together? I mean, that's, I mean, Christine, you and I, we help each other any way we can. We have for years and I have done it for years for anyone. I'll do it for anyone. You know, I don't care. You can be from MSNBC. You can be uh, from absolutely anywhere. If you need help with something, um, I'm more than happy to help. I'll share contacts. I'll share information. I'll, I'll connect people. Um, I do it all the time because it, what matters is getting uh, the truth out there. And by the way, wouldn't it be nice to know what was said in uh, Islan Maxwell's trial? Why do we not know the whole truth about that? Yeah, of course. I think we just lost Christine. Um, not sure what happened, but we will. Uh, we've been at this an hour. Let's do this again soon and maybe talk about Ghislaine. Does that work for you, Laura? <laughs> that would be good, Todd. Thank right. you so much, huh? Yes. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. Down there, so take no, care. not at all. Thanks for having me.